was Greek. And so that's why the Gospels were written in Greek. The world was, was moving into the language of, of the Greeks. But these Hebrew people still spoke their Aramaic. So these would not have been the words that Jesus spoke in Aramaic. But this is what Peter, I'm sorry, this is what Matthew recorded them. This is how Matthew recorded them in the Greek language. When Jesus is speaking up there on the mountain or the hillside, and he, he talks to them about how you're supposed to keep your word. You know, if you swear an oath, you better keep it. And this is what you've been taught. And then Jesus said, this is in the Greek text, Esto day, hologas humon, but... As for you, the words that you speak, this is the part I love, and this is why I'm saying this. This is what Jesus said. Nai, nai, ooh, ooh. I've always loved that. Nai, nai, ooh, ooh. It's, just, it's so simple, but it's so profound. Yes, yes, no, no. Of course, it's translated, and most of the, your Bibles will read something like, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. But... In such simplicity, it's recorded simply as nigh, nigh. In other words, yes, yes. If you can put some feeling in it, you get the force of what Jesus was saying. No, no. It's just simply saying there, there shouldn't be, when you give your word, there shouldn't be wiggle room. Now, we all know and understand circumstances come up and things change and something we meant to make happen or something we promised just was impossible to deliver. God understands that. There are times and circumstances that no human being can contend with. So we understand that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the heart, the intention of our word. Nigh, nigh. Ooh, ooh. It's, it's, it's such a simple philosophy. You never have to look about behind your back. You never have to really wonder if you're going to get caught up or if you're going to get exposed for the lie that you told. Yes? Yes. Just very simple philosophy and way of living. Let your yes, let me read what James says in verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Uh, I'm going to read also these words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he said, nine, I, ooh, ooh, and add just a little bit of the rest of his words the context of what he also said in Matthew 5, and this is in verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oath that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, this is, the, this is where Jesus pivots, Esto day, but I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply, nai nai, ooh ooh. Let it be that what you say is true. 
That's what Jesus is saying. If you say yes, mean yes. Have no other, no, have no uh, hidden agendas in your speech. If you say yes, then why would you need to swear or make a pledge? In other words, the point of Jesus and James, and I'm going to come, I'm going to probably go way around and come back to this, but the point of it all is we shouldn't have to prop up with a whole bunch of oaths and swear words and everything else. We shouldn't have to stack up our words so so heavily that other people think that they can believe it. It should be believable because we just keep the promises we made, we do what we say we would do. There should never be any second guessing. If we said it, that should be good enough. Guy, or, ooh, ooh, ooh. If we said no, then that's, the, that's how we should, that's what we should live out. But the problem, as you know, is not in the theory. The problem has always been from the day, the first days of our human existence. The problem has always been we're liars as humans. And I put there in your sermon notes the words of Jesus when he said, you know, the devil is the father of lies and you are the children of the devil. Speaking of human beings. And this deception and this lying that we do that becomes so commonplace that we actually expect each other not to tell the truth and that's why we at times say you know you gotta you gotta overcome my suspicion so I'm gonna make you take a vow I'm gonna make you take an oath you're gonna have to affirm or you're gonna have to Swear on a Bible. You're going to have to do something to convince me. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure you probably would be lying to me. The fact that such a suspicion would pull us so low is so sad. But that's where we are. It's where we live. Not just our American culture, uh, but as human beings around the world. And, And so this is what it's all about. This idea of an oath. Oaths, swearing, whatever uh, word, vows, whatever word you want to take, use, uh, are really only made necessary because of the fact that we are dishonest. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, your father, the devil, is the father of lies, and you are the children of the devil. Now, Please understand, I mean, he was, he was taking questions from people who were trying to trip him and trap him, but who had, who had a very different agenda than the questions that they were posing, and he understood that, and he, he, there's, there's a way in which he's not pointing his finger at every one of us in this room and saying, you are a habitual liar, but he's simply, Jesus is simply stating a truth about human nature. And the fallenness of our unregenerate nature. And he said, you're children of the devil. And the devil is the deceiver. And he always and always has been a liar and the father of all lies. And as I mentioned here in your sermon notes, we also know from elsewhere in the scripture exactly how God feels about lying and liars. And it's a very serious issue with him. And he says that all liars will be outside 
the holy city. They will be outside the kingdom of God. They will be outside of the place where God is. And, and you know, this is, a, this is just a picture for us of the fact that God is true. God is truth. And no lie and deception will ever stand in his presence. And if that's what you're giving your life to, if that's the kind of a person that you've chosen to be, that you major on deceiving people and you're just as happy to get something by an underhanded manner as you are by above board manner. If that's the kind of person you are, you're not going to be in heaven with the Lord. This is what the scripture makes very clear to us. Because God is a God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and the life. And so the sincerity and the reality and the truthfulness of God will not be tainted by lies and liars. <clears throat> and I'm, I, I realize it's kind of going back and forth here, but this whole idea of swearing and having, having to, to take an oath is kind of built on the premise that I had to convince people I'm not lying. If all of us honored God and told the truth from the first moment to the last moment, there would never have to be a promise or a commitment or an oath or a vow or, a, or any kind of, a, of something that was sworn. But that's not the world in which we live. And so that's why James writes to these people and says, uh, you shouldn't, as a Christian, this should not be a characteristic. You should not be a person who is swearing. Uh, James had some other things that say about speech. And I'm just going back through his letter to mention several things. Because this ties in with what you say. Remember in chapter 1 he said, A horse puts a bridle. We put a bridle on a horse to control. Well, we need to put a bridle on your tongue. And, and that's very true. In chapter 2, he says, you need to be very aware that the speech and the words you make about other people, about that they will be judged. They will be assessed by God. In other words, we don't just run our mouth all the time and God never pays attention. God does hear. He does pay attention. And he will assess the words that we have to say. This is a... This is one of the more shocking things that he has to say in chapter 3, where he's talking about the tongue or our speech. He says, you know, the reason the tongue is a raging fire is because it's set on fire by the fire of hell. That's what James says in chapter 3. That's, uh, that's pretty strong language. And yet, this is what the scripture tells us in the book of James that the reason our tongue takes off and blisters and scorches and hurts other people is because behind it there is a motivation of the there is a motivation of someone who wants to destroy and that is the motivation from hell in chapter 4 he talks about um, slandering other people about cutting down the character of other people, about destroying the reputation of other people with our speech. And he makes this point, and I'm trying to summarize it there. He says, when you 
speak down on when you judge other people you're really judging God's law you're acting as if you do not sit under the law but rather you sit on top of the law so that you have the final word on this person when you when you seek to pull down someone's reputation so these are some serious things and I just want to point them out that James talks about now Let's talk about or get to this issue of taking an oath or taking a vow, which James says, above everything in your, in your speech, pay attention to this, don't swear. And when, you know, when I read that, my eyebrows go up and I say, what does that mean, not to swear? I mean, how do I apply that? Where does that, what does that come to and mean in my life? The first thing that I will mention is that the kind of swearing that James is mentioning or talking about here is not equivalent to what we often call swear words in our language. Now, there's a lot of words that probably shouldn't be used, a lot of words that are, um, we call them profane People use profanity. They either take God's name and use it in a very casual way or use it as an exclamation point. Or just other words that are serious that they make light of or make unserious. And, um, you know, I put, I, I put there, mentioned there some verses in the book of Ephesians that talks about what it calls unwholesome speech. Uh, speech that's not designed to build anybody up, but rather just to express your anger and Paul says, don't let that stuff come out of your mouth. And we call it often profanity or swearing. That's not what he's talking about. Although that's an issue in itself. Uh, I read about or heard about this little boy uh, like in first grade. And there was a swear word came out of his mouth. And the teacher was shocked. And she said, I don't want to ever hear you using that word again. That word, we do not use that word. You don't even know what that word means. And the kid said, oh, yes, I do. And she said, what? What does that mean? And he said, it means the car won't start. <laughs> that is not what James is talking about here. It's not the, you know, there's, there's language that Christian people, that God-loving people should not use just because it makes light of important things. And doesn't show a respect for the Lord or for people. I'm not defending that. I'm just simply saying we often in our context refer to that as swearing. And we call them swear words, cuss words, and so forth. That's not the issue that he is referring to here. He's talking about an oath or a swearing by appealing to some other power to bring to bear on this issue or this commitment or this promise that I'm serious in what I say and I'm telling the truth and this is the way I'm going to do it. That's what James is referring to. It's, that's what I'm calling swearing or an oath. And that's what he uses. So I just want to point out it's we use the word swear in a slightly different way, I think, than what James means it here or what Jesus was talking about. 
And James says about the taking of oaths, about that kind of swearing, uh, don't do it. Don't swear by heaven or swear by earth or Jesus said anything else. In fact, Jesus said don't even swear at all. Difficulty is in, in processing this is to realize that there are many instances in the Bible given to us of many people making an oath or making a vow or making a commitment. And also the fact that we live in a world which, as I mentioned earlier, is fallen. We live in a world full of lies and liars and so nobody knows who can trust who. And therefore, our institutions and our important moments are propped up by oaths. So that the, if a president, if a man wants to become president of the country on TV in front of millions and millions of people, he says, I do solemnly swear to uphold and defend and support the Constitution. Um, if you want to be involved with a le some kind of a legal contract, chances are you're going to have to make some kind of an affirmation or an oath or swearing. If you, uh, you know, if you have a, are called as a witness in court, often you have to, you're told to raise your right hand. In the old days, there was a Bible there. I don't know if that's still used or not. If you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Um, we get married. What is a wedding? What is a marriage if it is not the, the enactment of a solemn promise, an oath? Do you? I do. And we, we uh, are very serious about it. And we, we say this is wonderful that they've that this person has made this inviolate commitment. Um, we do things like church membership and community uh, membership of community organizations where you make some kind of a promise, often before in the, in the, in the presence of other people, that I will do this, I will do that, which is all a form of swearing, of taking an oath, of, of, of taking upon yourself some form of, of something considered strong and powerful as your witness. We do this. This is our culture. Not just our culture. It's always been human cultures. And as I say, the Bible contains many, many, many instances of people taking oaths. And there are instances in the Old Testament where the Lord says to them in a, this circumstance, I expect you to take an oath. For example, this is in the book of Exodus. The Lord said there, um, this is just in some regulations and legislations from Moses. And, and he said, uh, if somebody wants you to dog sit, or cat set, or whatever, what do you call it? When you're, you're on vacation and you need somebody to set with your dog. And so your neighbor says, I'll, I'll dog set for you. Okay. And somehow or other over that weekend, something happens. 
The guy comes back and his dog is, is dead or his dog is missing. Um, maybe it got stolen. Maybe it got lost. Maybe you lost your temper and you killed it. What do you do? Well, Moses said in, in Exodus, the person dog setting has to swear an oath that they didn't lay a hand on that dog. So, the, 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 the mosaic legislation is full of that kind of thing. Where people were expected at times in certain moments to appeal to something as a witness that they were telling the truth. And the, as there are many instances. I just I mentioned a couple here, and this is this is just barely touching the surface. Abraham, in the book of Genesis, is record, it's recorded that Abraham and his neighbor, a guy named Abimelech, were having a little fuss. There was a well that had been dug, and Abraham said, that's my well, and my servants dug that well, and Abimelech said, oh, I don't think so. I think that well belongs to me. And of course, in a dry, dusty land, a well was a pretty big possession. So they had this argument. And so Abraham, it says, went over to his flock and pulled out seven lambs. And he came back. And Abimelech said, what do you got these, what do you got these sheep for? And Abraham said, I'm going to give them to you, these seven lambs, as an oath that this is my well. And I dug it. These lambs, I'm appealing to them, and this action that you realize this is 100% serious. This is my well, and I'm claiming it, and I'm doing this. And they called that well, by the way, Beersheba, Beersheba, we say, which means well of an oath. It says there at that spot they took an oath with each other that they would respect this deal, this understanding that they had made. Another time later in his life, Abraham called his servant, and he's getting old, and Abraham said to his servant, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to do this, but I need you to make an oath for me. My son Isaac is of the age that he will soon want to be getting married. And I cannot stand these Canaanites that I live among. They're pagan and they don't worship God. Would you make a commitment to me, a vow, that you will not let him marry one of these Canaanite girls? So there's those kind of things all through the scripture. One of the most uh, heart-wrenching to me is in the book of Joshua when, they, when the children of Israel send, two, send some spies across the river at Jericho. And these two guys go into the city of Jericho and they make friends with this lady named Rahab. And they, in secret, they tell her what they're up to. They say, we're getting ready to invade. We're going to cross the river. We're going to wipe Jericho out. And we need your help. And so she realizes and has the fear of God and she realizes they're telling her the truth and she says, I will help you. I will hide you when they come looking for you. I will help you. But you have to make me an oath. And that is that when you come, you will not harm my family. You will not destroy or harm anyone in my family. And I will hold you to that oath. And they said, that's very good. We're willing to make you an oath. But... 
If you tell soul after we leave where we went, our oath is no good. And if you don't hang a red cord in your window so we know your house, our, our oath is no good. And they parted terms, the spies and Rahab, each affirming to each other that they would follow through on their vow, on their oath, on what they swore solemnly to each other. So why is this in, in, in the face of so many types of oaths that are given in the scripture, including, I guess, the most famous one of all in Hebrews 6, where it says, the Lord swore an oath to Abraham. You've read this many times. And like us human beings, God would have based his oath on something bigger, stronger, greater, more expensive than himself, but there was nothing. And so it says the Lord looked around and said, what am I to do? Take my oath on a stack of Bibles? I don't think that would mean anything. I have to take my oath based on my own self. And it says God swore upon himself because there was nothing greater to swear on that he would guide Abraham and protect him and he would give to him a people and so forth. So there's even that, there's even that where, where God himself swears an oath, which James says here in chapter 5, shouldn't do. Jesus said, nah, don't do that. In fact, Jesus said, if you get beyond, nai, nai, ooh, ooh, if you go beyond just simple, honest speech, saying yes and meaning yes and leaving it, if you get beyond that and you start getting into all kinds of legalese, and I promise you this on the basis of this, Jesus said you're starting to actually, gonna, you're going to get in trouble because anything beyond the simple, honest truth is of the devil. This is what Jesus said. You, you start fortifying and propping and reinforcing your words. And you start creating sort of a labyrinth through, in through which Satan can come. And so both Jesus and James say, your best bet. Just stay away from that. And say yes and mean it. Say nope and mean it and go on your way. Okay. Are we done? Are you okay? Seems like it's awful quiet. What is the burden? What is, in other words, what is the point? Oh, speaking of marriage vows. I read this where some guy said to his wife on her anniversary, hey, you want to have a renewal of our vows? And she said, no, two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> what is the point of what James has to say here? Well, let me, let me mention three things quickly. First of all, he says, don't swear by anything like heaven or earth or anything else. I think he's talking about this, this is David's point of view, that anything else means anything other than God. If you do find yourself in a situation where you have to take an oath, understand that only God matters. Heaven doesn't matter Earth don't matter. Jerusalem doesn't matter. You know, uh, what do we swear on these, these days? 
I hear people say, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I don't know what all people swear on. What all they use. I hate that. I swear on my mother's grave. I've never appreciated that. But I heard people use that plenty of times. Um, There's nothing else really matters than God. So, I believe an implication of what James is saying is, if you take an oath, if in the course of your work or borrowing money or whatever, you have to, you have to make a, a statement. You maybe have to sign something that's basically an oath. Uh, you understand, as a believer in God and a child of God, you understand that the only one that really matters in who and before you are making your oath is God himself. It's not any of this other kind of stuff that we sometimes refer to. Jesus said, oh, don't make your oath on Jerusalem. Don't make your oath on your own head. In other words, I swear by my own head, which I guess would be a way of saying, if I'm not being truthful, you can take my life. And that was the force of an oath in the Old Testament. We read... King David and others said, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not follow through. That's almost a curse, reversed back as an oath. But if we think that anything else other than God should be our frame of reference, I'm simply saying that seems to me that it's insulting to God. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, let God be true if every man is a liar. In other words, God is true even if everybody else lies. So all we should appeal in our thinking and if possible even in our wording unto God. Um, It seems to me that we live in a world because of the fact that we deal with liars in all strata of society and in all circumstances that at times, for societal reasons, we do have to take an oath. And I know there are church groups and there are groups that, on the basis of what James says here, refuse to take any type of an oath, for example, for military service or for any reason. They refuse, based on this, to take an oath and, and let that take them where they want. I think in light of the evidence of so much else in the Scripture, that... We don't need to take that kind of an extreme view. That, that we recognize that some institutions and some situations have to do this to try to protect themselves. But here's the point that he's getting to that I think is ultimately the most important. Let me move on quickly. The let your yes be yes means that you do what it, you say you're going to do. It means that you do whatever you need to to fulfill your vow. And so that means you're serious about your words. You don't just say, yeah, I swear I'll do it, and then you never think about it again. If you pepper your speech with oaths, it's kind of like the little boy who was uh, always crying wolf. Remember that? I can't remember all the fairy tale, but some about a little kid who was always crying wolf, wolf, and they would come running, and there was no wolf, and he would laugh, and... Then eventually there was a wolf, and he cries wolf, wolf, and they don't come. Because they say, yeah, yeah, we've heard that before. If 
you're swearing all the time just to keep your head above water, just to make people believe you, then when you really do need to be believed, what are you going to appeal to or how are you going to say it? So it's the seriousness that, that we need. Here's the third point. Here's the thing that I think is really underneath all of this, and this to me is exciting. What do you need to take an oath for, other than the fact that you may be required to for some legal reason that you cannot really escape because it's part of the culture? If all we do is go around and say, I swear, and I I swear on this, and I swear on that, and and we make that our habit, it actually becomes counterproductive. Because pretty quickly, people are going to say, well, if you didn't swear, if you have to say, I swear, in order to convince people you're telling the truth, then it make it seem like if you don't say you swear, maybe you're not telling the truth. And, And... it creates, it creates this atmosphere that actually, I think, becomes counterproductive. And so what James is saying here is, this should not be part of normal conversation. This should not be part of the normal expression of speech of our lives as Christians. There may be times where an oath is appropriate, such as a wedding vow. Where, where something of a more formal statement is, is very appropriate and very appreciated. I don't believe that James is, is saying that this is wrong. I don't believe that Jesus is saying that's wrong. Even though Jesus said, don't swear at all. I think he's talking about swearing as a manner of speech. Swearing as a way of just kind of constantly trying to avoid being considered a liar because most of the time you are a liar. And so you're always swimming up current. When you really need to have something believed, you have to swear and swear and swear because most of what you say, people don't believe. Don't live like that. Don't speak like that. It should not be normal for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. It destroys our credibility. It destroys the testimony that you have to that you want to have if you got to swear in order to be trusted it makes it seem as if normally you cannot be trusted in other words you shouldn't have to bring out the big guns in order to be believed if so if that's what you have to do then it seems like that you're saying to other people i know that you're expecting me to lie and so i want to be sure that you Really do believe me this time. Where that you're not suspicious. You know, I've had people, they wear me out very quickly. But I've had people who are just forever saying, believe me, believe me, you got to believe me. Um, I'm tell- telling you the truth. I've, and after a little bit, I started, I started to sort of think, are they trying to pull wool over my eyes? Why do they have to continually be affirming that they're telling the truth? Why don't they allow me to assume they are telling the truth? Because from the very first time I ever met them until they, they have told the truth. Why don't they just say, ooh, 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 and nine-eye? And let me, let me deal with the rest. So, here's, 
how Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. It's saying the very similar thing. That we, that we would speak truthfully. Here's another place where Paul says this. And I think this is pretty powerful for us to think of this to close. We, as a Christian, cannot do anything against the truth. If that's the philosophy by which I live, I shouldn't have to go around piling up oaths or saying I swear this and I swear by that in order for people to accept and believe what I have said. This gives us a testimony. This gives us credibility when our word is our bond, our word is our word. This is the burden of what James is saying. And this is, this is, uh, this is the burden of all the scriptures about this, about this issue. It's really about honesty and truthfulness. May we